In roller derby, holding space is an empowering, often intimidating act of strength and strategy for oneself and or teammates. Holding Space, the podcast, clears the floor for conversations that touch upon race, class, identity, and privilege to amplify stories, build community, and make more connections in the skate world. Expect lots of smart, dope skate people musing about life on and off eight wheels and silliness. Can't forget the silliness that you never knew you needed and won't be able to live without. This is Holding Space with Magical Wheelism. Welcome. Hi, everyone. For the past few weeks, numerous people-led revolutionary uprisings have taken place in several countries across the globe, including in Chile and Lebanon. Folks have been taking to the streets, often with nothing more than chants, signs, pots, and pans. Their demands? Better living conditions, an end to inequality and state corruption, and a host of other issues. As protests escalated, skaters took to social media to share first-hand accounts of their country's plights with the world. I was fortunate enough to speak with skaters Barbara of Las Cabras Roller Skate and Metropolitan Roller Derby and Kenny of Brussels Roller Derby, who were on the ground in Chile and Lebanon, all about the protests, what the media is and isn't covering, as well as the connections between skating and social consciousness. First up is my Spanish language interview with Barbara. A link to the English language transcript can be found at medium.com backslash at Magical Wheelism Derby, as well as linked in the show notes. Kenny's interview, which is in English, starts at about minute 17. Acá en Chile los últimos días han estado súper complicados porque, bueno, todo se desató con el alza del pasaje del transporte público. Acá en Chile el transporte público es muy, muy caro y la gente gana poco dinero. Entonces, bueno, eso fue la gota que rebalsó el vaso porque acá en Chile vimos muchas injusticias sociales y la gente ya estaba cansada y el viernes salieron a protestar por el alza del pasaje. Pero ya era, son un montón de cosas que suceden acá en Chile. Imagínate que los ancianos eh, reciben más o menos 160 mil pesos, menos 70 mil pesos, y con eso no sobreviven. De hecho, acá en Chile la tasa de suicidio de los abuelitos es súper alta. Los abuelos se suicidan porque no tienen cómo pagar su alimentación ni su vida. La misma educación es carísima. Entonces, acá en Chile se condena a las personas a ser pobres, mientras hay gente que vive súper bien. Y de eso se aburren las personas. Y por eso ahora, de hecho, afuera está la gente protestando porque ahora estamos en toque de queda. Eso significa que después de cierto horario no podemos salir. Pero la gente se sigue manifestando, sigue saliendo, porque en realidad ya estamos cansados. Yo creo que eso es lo más lindo de este movimiento, que es la gente contra el gobierno, no son los partidos políticos, es la gente transversalmente, de todas las edades de todas las clases sociales ya estamos cansados muchos que van a escuchar este podcast eh, viven fuera de Chile si nos podría dar un poco de comparación en, en términos cuando dices mil pesos o la diferencia mira, por ejemplo, una persona acá en Chile puede ganar más o menos 220 mil pesos chilenos. Son más o menos 314 dólares. Mensuales. Sí, al mes. Mm. El costo de la locomoción es un dólar. 
Entonces al día, solo si vas a trabajar son dos dólares. Al mes se va acumulando y eso significa, pensando solo si vas a trabajar. O sea, la gente no sale porque no puede gastar ese dinero. Y imagínate con un dólar tú puedes comprar un kilo de arroz, puedes comprar pan, puedes comprarle la colación a tu hijo para ir al colegio. No sé, por la educación mensual te cuesta lo que yo estoy estudiando. Yo estoy estudiando biología en una universidad estatal, y mensualmente mi carrera me sale 428 dólares. Imagínate para una persona que gana lo que, te, lo que te dije anteriormente. Entonces la gente vive endeudada, vive trabajando, teniendo dos trabajos, muchas mamás solteras también, porque además Chile es un país súper machista. Entonces, son muchas injusticias que acá se viven y se viven en, yo creo, en todos los países de Latinoamérica. Acá además el Estado lleva años vendiendo los recursos naturales de nuestro país. Ni siquiera yo los veo como recursos. Son, son, son como para mí seres vivos los ríos, los cerros, los minerales. Acá están todos vendidos a empresas del extranjero. Ni siquiera son chilenas. Son empresas de Europa, de China, de Norteamérica, de esos países. Creo que fue a partir de este fin de semana que las redes internacionales nos hemos dado cuenta de lo que está sucediendo en Chile, pero ¿desde cuándo se ha venido empeorando la situación? Mira, yo creo que acá en Chile lo que pasó es que Chile, en Chile un golpe de Estado hace mucho tiempo, en el, bueno, hace no tanto, en el 73. Desde ahí la sociedad chilena entró como en, lo esto es todo según lo que yo pienso, como en un estado como traumático, de miedo, porque imagínate, todos nuestros padres ellos vivieron en la dictadura, se mataron a muchas personas, muchas personas desaparecieron, hay cuerpos que todavía no aparecen, entonces se generó un trauma social. Han habido revoluciones, creo que la primera revolución que hubo hace como más nueva fue la del 2011, la revolución pingüina. Acá muchas revoluciones comienzan con los estudiantes y pasa a la gente más grande, pero el 2011 fue como la primera revolución como moderna, pero siempre se ha mantenido como todo calmado, han subido los precios, la gente lo aceptaba regañadiente, pero creo que esto ha sido un, de un descontento que ha ido aumentando, aumentando como cuando la olla hierve y no te das cuenta que se está calentando hasta que le salieron burbujas. Yo creo que eso pasó acá en Chile, la gente ya explotó, no pudo más. ¿Cómo los podemos ayudar? ¿Qué, qué, qué, qué mensajes quieres dar? Al, al... Yo creo que de manera que pueden ayudarnos es a difundir lo que realmente está pasando acá en Chile, porque la televisión está mintiendo acá dentro del país y fuera del país. Yo me he enterado que en, otro, en otros medios de información, por ejemplo, de no sé qué, México, otros países, están diciendo que la gente, por ejemplo, está muriendo por la violencia de las mismas personas. Y eso no es así, la gente está muriendo por la violencia del Estado, porque los policías y los militares están matando a las personas. Mi amiga le llegó un perdigón en la cara. Hay gente que ha muerto, desangrada, porque le han disparado. Y eso está sucediendo acá, en Chile, a plena luz del día. A familias, hay gente que sale a protestar familias con niños y la policía dispara. Si no, son las lacrimógenas. Insisto, esto es algo que sucede en toda Latinoamérica. Porque toda esta injusticia social se vive en Latinoamérica y bueno, y en todo el mundo. Pero desde que llegaron los españoles a Latinoamérica, 
Latinoamérica, Latinoamérica se ha ido en picada. Ahí fue cuando llegó la pobreza, ahí fue cuando llegaron las injusticias. ¿Cómo decidieron vincular este mensaje social con el patinaje y por qué lo decidieron? Lo que pasa es que nosotras somos personalmente personas muy conscientes socialmente. Todas las cabras. Eh, ¿Cuántas son? Las, en, en realidad, por el Instagram, esos somos como tres, tres, cuatro. Pero nosotras siempre decimos que todas somos las cabras. Entonces, en general, cualquier chica que se quiera juntar a patinar con nosotras ya es parte de las cabras. De hecho, tenemos un grupo de WhatsApp donde agregamos a todo el mundo que quiera invitarse a patinar y siempre estamos, somos como una comunidad bien grande. Entonces, nosotras mismas por nuestra realidad y yo creo por, por haber nacido en la situación que nacimos como en, en este momento, en este periodo, en este lugar, somos personas súper conscientes. Y naturalmente para nosotros como que consideramos que patinar es una, un, como un arte, una manera de expresarse. Y como todo en la vida tiene que hacerse con conciencia. Y con conciencia de, de, de tratar de generar un mundo mejor, de poder ayudar a las demás personas. Y eso, por ejemplo, nosotros lo comenzamos con las clases de patinaje. Porque para nosotras patinar es como lo máximo. Eh, no ha ayudado mucha, en muchos sentidos, por ejemplo, para tener un, un mejor autoestima, para liberar endorfinas, para sentir que aprendes cosas nuevas, para superarte, para aprender a caerte, un montón de cosas. Y nosotras quisimos hacer las clases para que otras mujeres, sobre todo, pudieran sentir eso. Porque a nosotras nos cambió la vida. Todo lo intentamos hacer con conciencia, como por lo mismo, ahora no nos podíamos restar a la situación que está viviendo nuestro país, porque además uno sale de la calle y ve lo que está sucediendo. Eh, hay que ser ciego o fascista para no darse cuenta de lo que está sucediendo. ¿Y desde cuándo están dando sus clases de patinaje? Hace como dos meses que, o tres meses. ¿Y cómo? Que ¿Qué como, enseñan? ¿Qué tipo de...? Desde de lo más básico, lo que pasa es que llegan varias chicas de diferentes niveles. Entonces, nos tenemos, somos dos profes, y nos tenemos que ir dividiendo porque a todas tratamos de enseñarles de acuerdo a su nivel. Entonces, vamos dando ejercicio cada una, dependiendo hay gente que llega y no sabe patinar nada, y hay otras chicas que saben patinar. Entonces, a cada una le vamos dando diferentes ejercicio en diferentes lugares del skatepark para que practiquen y vamos corrigiendo. Entonces estamos de todo, de todo, desde aprender a patinar desde cero hasta tirarte en rampas, bombear, saltar, todo. ¿Qué edades tienen? ¿Y son mayoría de todas chicas? Las edades. Han llegado niñas de 6 años hasta mujeres de 35, 40, no sé, de todas las edades. Y háblame del derby, ¿cómo va el derby? Chile en general el derby está creciendo harto. Eh, ya ahora tenemos un torneo nacional en el que participan más o menos seis o siete equipos femeninos por ahí y hay equipos masculinos también. Ahora con Metropolitan estamos eh, tratando de jugar nuestros partidos para entrar al ranking, pero es bien difícil acá en Sudamérica porque no tenemos un circuito tan amplio como el de Norteamérica y lamentablemente eh, las Copas Continentales de América se realizaron creo las dos en Estados Unidos. Entonces se nos hace un poco, ya viendo la pobreza de Sudamérica, se nos hace un poco difícil viajar. Y yo creo que eso le pasa a hartas ligas de Sudamérica también. Como que ya somos pobres porque vivimos en Sudamérica. Entonces además viajar se hace muy costoso, muy costoso. Entonces no, hay varios equipos muy buenos acá en Sudamérica. Por ejemplo, eh, Bomb Breakers de Colombia ya son buenísimas. Y no pueden entrar al ranking porque Colombia tampoco tiene mucha plata po, y sale muy caro ir a Estados Unidos 
Ahora sería muy genial que quizás la próxima alguna otra Copa Continental sea un poco más cerca, o bueno, nosotras igual ahora estamos juntando dinero para poder viajar, pero nos demoramos un poco porque harto dinero, además no tenemos apoyo de nadie, entonces ahí estamos, po. Lo que hacemos es viajar a Argentina cada cierto tiempo porque ahí están las dos por cuatro, que ellas están súper bien posicionadas y en general en Argentina hay muy buen roller derby. Entonces nosotros decimos que es como nuestro pequeño gringolandia. Porque allá podemos jugar contra chicas que juegan como las gringas. Ay, qué bien, qué bien. ¿Y qué tipo de apoyo o ayuda les, you know, les gustaría de nosotros en términos del derby? Más que nada quizás que se interesen en las ligas que hay en Latinoamérica, de repente comprar una polera eh, o el merch, que eh, a nosotras como liga igual nos ayudaría, po. más que nada como para lo, pa lo, yo digo, psicológico, como pensar que hay gente que de verdad se interesa en otras cosas que están como no tan difundidas y que están uh -huh. sucediendo realmente, porque sí. hay derby en Latinoamérica, hay muy buen derby, solo que no está difundido. Por los bajos recursos, por la dificultad sí, de porque... No sé, siento que en Latinoamérica no somos como los protagonistas de la historia de la humanidad. Somos como, estamos, yo creo que por lo que no ha pasado históricamente. Como que siempre hemos sido países del tercer mundo junto con África y otros países que están sufriendo mucha injusticia. Como que la vida es buena para algunos y para otros no tantos. Igual yo, como persona chilena, nací muy privilegiada en el sentido de que tengo una familia, no nací pobre, por ejemplo, y tengo acceso a la educación, mi familia pudo entregarme educación, pero no puedo no ver a la gente pobre que vive acá, acá hay mucha gente pobre, que no tiene la misma situación que muchos de nosotros sí tenemos, entonces eso da rabia, que sobre todo acá en Chile ver que hay gente que tiene unas casas gigantes y hay otra gente que no tiene casa eso ver que realmente no somos todos iguales, y eso no puede seguir sucediendo porque cuando nos morimos todos nos vamos con la ropa y nada más, entonces hay mucha avaricia en el mundo, y eso se tiene que acabar Muy bien dicho, no tengo nada se dijo acá en Chile decimos con todo si no, ¿para qué? <ríe> y aquí se dice and that's on that on that <ríe> ¿Por qué patinas? ¿Qué te trajo el patinaje? Mira, yo comencé a patinar a los seis años porque yo era muy tímida cuando era pequeñita y mis papás quisieron meterme a hacer hockey sobre patines porque como era un, como un deporte medio de contacto además como que sacar un poco de personalidad y ahí estuve practicando como 10 años de ahí dejé de patinar y conocí el roller derby y bueno, a mí siempre me gustó patinar como que me encanta esa sensación de como el círculo que avanza por el cemento de la rueda como sentir de que Puedes, por ejemplo, impulsarte un poco y luego solo fluir con el movimiento y el propio peso de tu cuerpo. Como que eso me encanta. Y de como sentir como que todo mi cuerpo está conectado cuando patino. Porque cuando uno patina, todo el cuerpo está conectado. Y me encanta eso, como de sentir mi cuerpo. De conectarme con... Y no solo mi cuerpo, porque yo siento ahí, me doy cuenta que como que el cuerpo y la mente son uno solo. Porque cuando me conecto con mi cuerpo, como que siento que estoy conectada conmigo misma. No sé, no pienso en las cosas que tengo que hacer, no pienso en nada, ni una preocupación, solo como estar aquí y ahora, eso es lo que me gusta patinar, como que me conecta con el aquí y el ahora, me encantaría como llevar eso a mi vida siempre, ay, no tener preocupaciones, y con el video de Estroyen, el clásico video de Estroyen, me comencé a hacer roller skate, 
él ah. sale andando en la calle y con unos chores amarillos, algo así. Y ahí lo vi y aluciné, dije, no, esto está máximo, tengo que hacerlo también. Y ahí que no me he parado. Ok, mi última pregunta. A mí me gusta preguntarles a mis, a la gente que entrevisto, un MVP, que es como, ¿sabes lo que es un MVP? Sí, sí lo sé. A ver, un MVP puede ser una persona, una organización, un negocio, alguien de derby, del patinaje o no, alguien que es tu, you know, tu jugador más valuado ahorita. Jugador, jugador, obviamente, entre comillas. Mi MVP son todas mis amigas que patinan que he conocido a muchas chicas, como que tú me dices mi pi, y se me vienen a la mente chicas de, que he conocido gracias al patinaje, y que son muy grandes personas, eh, son mujeres muy motivadas con el patinaje, y con crear comunidad, de compartir, puedo nombrarte varias, de acá de Chile, mi amiga, la Javi, la Puli, la Fran, la Luna, de Argentina, la Ceci, la Caro, Ay, no sé, en Colombia, la Caro, la Monsoon, conozco chicas de Latino, bueno, yo soy latinoamericana y hay gente de Latinoamérica que está muy motivada y todas ellas son mis MVP. Muchísimas gracias. Feel free to start from the top. I was born in Lebanon. I was born in Belgium, but I did grow up in Lebanon. I'm Lebanese from my father's side. I came back to Belgium to study med school, and uh, I wanted to find a sport. So I kind of looked around what kind of team sports there are. I didn't really want to join any college sports. And a friend of mine who lived in LA at the time, she actually watched the game, a roller derby game, and she sent me a link. She was like, "Check it out if it's in Europe." That was back in 2010. And um, I checked it out. I Googled at the time in Europe, there was only a team in London and a team in Ghent. And I think it's in Berlin. Anyways, I'm in Brussels. So London was way out of the question. I don't think my father would have allowed the budget to go to a typical everyday Brussels London train. So I was like, okay, I'll just join Antwerp, Stroller Derby team. So I did my fresh meet there. And hence my Kenny name, because the first, my first try, I spent legit 15 minutes in the locker room trying to stand up on my skates. And the rest of the freshman practice, I just kept falling on my ass. Nobody was expecting to see me again. And I stuck. Nine years later, here I am still doing That's roller amazing. derby. Yeah. So I, within my six months in Antwerp, it was a bit too complicated to juggle my studies and practice from Brussels to Antwerp. It's still like about an hour train. So eventually, I decided to make my own league in Brussels. And then, then here we are. We're a Wufta league and more than 60 members. And nine years later still hanging in there amazing congratulations wow is it uh, just the travel team or a like uh do you have home leagues do you have like intra-league uh i'm saying at home leagues um home teams i should say oh okay yeah home teams we still don't have we're not that many to have several home teams we do have a travel team and we do have a b team as well so the b team plays home games and travels around and we just started this year to make intra-league games so we're just about 10 people per team but yeah we don't have a big season home team it's mostly traveling do y'all have a lifted a rank yes uh currently we're 102 
That's uh, awesome. Yeah, it's awesome. We just went to the States during summer to like to correct about the ranking. And it was really fun. We went to Truckee, it was held by Sierra Regional Roller Derby. So it was very interesting for us to play in the States. Because I mean, for European teams, going to the States is a big step to really improve your ranking because most of the ranked teams in the top hundreds, they're all over in US territory. So yeah, it's a big budget. It takes a lot of energy. Um, it takes a lot also of smart logistics planning. And yeah, so we made it. We were very happy, especially for the old ones like me. I mean, it was a big step in the books of uh, our league. And yeah, we went. We won the tournament. So we brought home the trophy, which was huge. <laughs> we were not expecting it. <laughs> but yes, and now we're 102. Congratulations. Thanks. So and so this was the first time ever y'all had made it over to a tournament? To the USA, yeah. Oh, okay. Otherwise we've always played in Europe and uh, never left Europe. That's exciting. <laughs> That's so great. Yeah. Uh and, and you said old timers, so you have do you have a lot of people in your league that are have been around for the entirety of its existence? Yeah. For now we're only three left. For the entire its existence, yeah. That's some fun. are a bit later. Some are already seven years in, five years in. So yeah, but so far we're three from the first, 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 uh, for the beginnings of the league. Yeah. <laughs> so you said that you were looking for a sport to get into. What do you love about skating? Uh, actually, like skating was skating is not something I love. Really enough, I only love putting my quads for roller derby. You will never see me putting my quads to just go skate in the city or to skate park I would rather use a skateboard or longboard but it's mostly like just the the mood that was in roller derby the fact that it was such an underground sport when it started and you could really create this little community and yeah it's um especially that it's like that you can find this little safe bubble and you can just go in and forget about the world forget about everything outside and it really is like that. And once like events finish or practice finishes, it's just like somebody pops your bubble and like, ah, oh, shit, tomorrow I have to work. I still have food to cook. I have laundry to make. What can we, can it be just derby all the time? <laughs> Amen. So, yeah. and, so you're a doctor, is that right? Yeah. Yes, you're, I am. What kind of medicine do you practice? So for now I'm going to surgery. So I graduated last year. I just did the first year in orthopedics and trauma surgery, and I'm about to finish on that. What does it mean to you to see all of this happening in, in Lebanon right now? Do you get to go back to your dad's yeah. homeland? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I've, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, like ever since I came to Belgium, I always go back to Lebanon once or twice a year because it is my home. It's, I mean, I go there for summer, I go there for holidays. And um, yeah, I made a home here in Brussels. I have my friends, my, my families, part of my family is here. But yeah, Lebanon will always be my home, always be in my heart. And if I can go back to Lebanon for good, I would do it. Yeah. What city is your dad from? In Lebanon, he's from Tripoli. And I've lived in Tripoli. So it's way in the north of Lebanon. Yeah. Okay. What's the Lebanese community like in Brussels? Is there a say, ample size community? Yeah, so there is a lot. Like, if you know, uh, in Lebanon, the, inside Lebanon, there are 6 million people living, roughly. Outside Le Lebanon, it was estimated to have about 10 to 13 million Lebanese living outside of Lebanon. So you will find Lebanese everywhere, and especially in Brussels as well. There is a big community of Lebanese people here, which helps a lot because then you never feel really alone. <laughs> yeah. That's great. Yeah. What's been your connection like since all of this revolutionary activity has started? So I was lucky enough to be there a couple of days before it started. And um, 
it was just amazing. So I'm trying as hard as I can to actually report what's going on in Lebanon to Belgium, to European grounds, to my friends who are not Lebanese, because as we know from all revolutions, media, international media is not the the safest and the best way to understand what's really going on in the ground. So I've been trying to really share everything with my friends and I'm really glad I am because they have been asking me questions. Whenever they find articles of an international media platform, they will come to me first and be like, is this correct? Can I share this? Do you have anything to add to this? So yeah, I'm trying to promote awareness and to encourage people to be curious and ask a Lebanese that they might find in their street and not just just not sit in front of their TV and engulf whatever media is giving to them. Because after all, I think media's international media's job nowadays is to try and put every country in a stereotypical box. So if a country is doing something that they think is not going to fit their image of a certain ethnicity they won't port it they won't share it but if they do find like violence if they do find something that will just fit with their images of a certain country then they will share it real well <laughs> no agreed and yeah. so you were there you said okay so yeah. how long were you there and when did you get back so i got back just yesterday i was there for the first eight days of the revolution um so yeah i was there on the first day the first day it was a very spontaneous revolution it was not planned there's no leader of the revolution. Literally, the Lebanese are all of them the leaders of this revolution. So it started on Thursday, 17th of October. Um, I didn't know what was going to happen. I was in the city and I just noticed some people trying gathering up in the middle of the city. But we didn't think much of it until the next day where it was announced that there was a big gathering of people and revolution is going to start. And that's when everybody just went down to the streets. And Because this revolution was about to happen. I mean, it was bound to happen. Everybody saw it coming except obviously the politicians or not, but it's been months and months and years that Lebanon has been in a severe crisis and we've all seen it coming. And on Tuesday, like on Monday night, what happened was that there were a lot of wildfires in Lebanon that really ate a big chunk of its forest. And people noticed that the government was not doing anything to put those fires out, especially since a few years ago, they did purchase planes for $16 million, especially to put out fires. And those planes never came out. So that's when people start a bit waking up on the matter and be like, wait a minute, the country is burning and politicians are not doing shit about it. The country is literally burning. So, so is the, are these wildfires, like, are these fires typical that they bought, like, they planes are to fly t- them yeah they okay. are typical yes indeed but this time like it was again the people who put the fires out and thankfully tuesday night we had a huge storm and if the storm put the fire out if it weren't for the storm the whole country would have burned it away so that was really the tipping point to people because i know that social media is talking about a whatsapp tax that was gonna be added by the government they did add it on wednesday and that's when people were like really okay that's enough but it just i really want to insist that this is not what started the revolution what started the revolution is there are the wildfires, $60 million that the country paid, but we've never had results of. The environmental pollution that there is, the garbage crisis that they haven't take, been taking care of, roads are completely destroyed, people who cannot pay their educations, uh, their kids' educations to go to school or even college, which puts which all the parents in Lebanon have to put their kids abroad. So that's why I'm in Belgium, for instance, which sucks. In Lebanon, if the parents want a future for their kids, it's outside of Lebanon. So this 
is what the revolution is all about. It's about the people claiming their country back, asking the politicians to give back all the money they stole from the country back and just have a new government. So Kenny, that was the reason that your your dad moved your family to Belgium yeah. was to for better opportunities. Yeah, exactly. Because he himself moved to Lebanon. He had no choice. But it's a big history, like like a huge history moment in Lebanon because it had a civil war back in from 1970 to 1990. So it had a huge civil war because in Lebanon there are a lot of religions, all from the Christians and Muslims who all live together, but they're all of religions. And from that civil war, a lot of my pa- my dad's generation had to leave Lebanon as well to study abroad. So every generation was pushed away from the country and had to come back and then pushed away again. And now it's just enough. We all want to stay. Why do we have to leave our homes to live our lives? It doesn't make sense. <laughs> Agreed. Yeah. And what does your dad say? And what does your family say about every uh, the revolution and the protests? They're, they're so thankful that our, my generation moves like that because uh, I've seen, my dad has come with me every day to the streets for the revolution and seeing him shout, I mean, abolish the government. It's just very emotional. It's been a very roller coaster emotionally revolution because we've seen all of el- the elders with us on the streets and those people have lived through the wars of Lebanon. They have seen what Lebanon was capable of and became and they're just so proud of us. They're really proud of our generation, the way we're trying to communicate this revolution to the rest of the world, the way we're trying to keep this revolution as peaceful as we can. I mean, we've never seen a revolution like this. Literally, the people are all about peace. We're always promoting do not provokes the soldiers that are on the ground do not provoke the policemen just do your revolution but peacefully and yeah it's it's been amazing it really has i mean we're all so proud that we're part of this huge history in lebanon it's crazy <laughs> that's wonderful what have you learned since returning what is what are the next steps or the next um movements for the for the people protesting what is the plan or what would they like okay so right now we're still on the streets day 11 the people will not leave the streets so the what we're demanding from the government is that they all resign so that we can appoint a technocrat government so our government in lebanon uh, because of the civil war, it's a sectarian government. So if you want, um, because we have different religions, in the government, the positions are distributed to several political parties uh, proportionally to those religions. So for instance, in the constitution, the president of Lebanon has to be a Christian. The prime minister has to be a Muslim Sunni. So our government is based on religion. So what the people are asking is that the religion does not is not involved in politics. We just want a scientific, if you want, po- a political government government. So that's like the most important demand of the people. And we do want every politician for the past 30 years to reveal their bank accounts, to reveal the amount of money that has been coming in Lebanon and going out of Lebanon, because it does not make sense that we are over a billion dollar in debt. And the country is complete shit. So it's like, where did this billion dollar go? So that's what the people are also demanding, that every politician pay his price. As someone who's observed it from afar and up close, what is different this time? Well, this time what's different is that everybody is revolving under the same flag because the the few protests that there has been in the past few years, it's always been under a political party flag. So if you want, you've always had people that will follow a political party that's all Christian or a political party that's all Muslim. So there, there has been different flags in the country. And it's the, for the first time ever that I've seen Lebanese flags everywhere. Uh, no political parties involved. People who used to follow political parties have abandoned their leaders, let's say, and joined our forces, which is insane and amazing because 
it is very in those countries it is very dangerous to defy your political party leaders you could be kidnapped you could be killed your family could be killed because they've been bribed so much so yeah it's what changes this revolution is that we're all under one flag that all the Lebanese all over the world are asking the exact same thing and hope has come again I mean before, if you'd ask a Lebanese expat, if you ask them, like, would you ever go back to Lebanon, consider going back to Lebanon to work or live there? Our answer would always be, yeah, maybe or never. But now we all want to just say, yes, we are going to go back to Lebanon. So we're really hoping that this revolution changes things. How can we help elsewhere? How, how can we help? Well, you, definitely by talking to fellow Lebanese people that you might know and try and spread on your own social platform the images that we are sharing, the, the real images of the revolution, trying to break the stereotypical barrier of every Arabic revolution is supposed to be bloody and violent and against the dictatorship. Because in Lebanon, it is not. I mean, it's been a revolution where people are dancing all night long, people where restaurants have been distributing free food and free water so people can stay on the streets where we have tents set up where we can have mental health aid for people who need it because we shouldn't forget about people who just have who are in constant battle with their own mental health so we have this we have uh we have uh, groups that are planned to clean after our protests in the mornings in the afternoons we have classes because colleges have stopped their classes to, for the revolution but we have professors still giving lessons in the outside in the street so everybody can join we have debates that have been going on public debate so it's been very very intellectually um flourishing in Lebanon and we'd like the world to see that side of revolution just to show the world that it is possible to have a revolution where the people are still respecting our country, where the people are not being beaten down by the soldiers, by the policemen, where it's not, where there isn't any clash. It's just a very peaceful revolution where people are really asking what they want and the government is not responding in violence. Some political parties are by trying to throw in their followers or their thugs, I'd say, but quickly enough, the soldiers have been protecting us because they are in the same situation as us. They can't not follow the orders that are being given to them. They have no choice, but they do wish to be with us. And there are a lot of pictures that we share with the world where soldiers are holding the hands of protesters or revolutionaries on the floor. It just, or soldier hugging his father because his father is in the revolution. So it just, we would like the world to see that. And so, yeah, every non-Lebanese, if they can just share one picture, just one video, that they see of the Lebanese revolution, then do, yeah, definitely. Earlier this yeah. week, I also spoke to someone in Chile, a skater in Chile. Yeah. And I was just wondering, just out of curiosity, if you've given any thought about the connection between skating and these sort of revolutionary moments and how inspired you are and motivated you are to spread the message and they are for their part. And I feel like I've seen other skaters like in Barcelona, similarly, you know, spreading the word. Have you given that any thought or wondered? Definitely. I mean, roller derby has taught me to really um, be confident with myself and to raise our voices like in the Wufta. I mean, we've always tried to put our, our sport front and fight for our rights and it's very encouraging seeing a lot of people in Wufta trying to to put forth subjects that are considered taboo or subjects too hard to talk about and they have the courage to do that it has really encouraged me to really raise my voice about a lot of things especially the revolution so yeah definitely how are you taking care of yourself in this heightened intense moment what is your (laughs) self-care sort of tip and you know yeah it's such a good question it's such a really good question 
I try and, well, first of all, I really try and live the moment. I really, if I'm angry, I will let the anger come all over. I will embrace the anger. If when I'm, I'll be happy in the revolution, I'll be happy, I'll embrace it. I don't want to hide from those emotions. I don't want to deny them. I really try to embrace them as much as I can. Other than that, when, for instance, when I would come off the streets, go back home, I would try and disconnect from the revolution because the first days I did not sleep. I would come back home from the streets. I would stay online, try and stay connected as much as I can with what's going on outside. And I just wouldn't sleep. So I was like, by the third day, I was like, that's enough. It's not going to do me any good. So I would just go home, disconnect completely from what's going on outside. Just do regular things that I would do in a normal country that's not in a revolution. So watch a movie, walk with my dog, talk to my mom. And then when I'm back down in the street, take my flag and yeah, shout it away. What's happening in terms of uh, solidarity protests if any in Belgium and in, and in Brussels so so far there has been two protests in Belgium and Brussels and yeah the city has been quite um, quite understanding of our situation they've allowed us to really gather in big big numbers downtown so we can get a lot of uh, a lot of attention to it so yeah I mean that's for wonderful. now for sure. now that's what we need and that's enough for us yeah yeah I know that's great <laughs> yeah and okay, I always like to end with a MVP, someone, a person, place, organization, could be skating or not skating related that is amazing to you and deserves the, you know, the props, the, the recognition. Oh, oh, it's going to be so cheesy and typical, but definitely my mom. <laughs> I mean, my mom raised us really well and I'm really like, I'm very proud to be the fruit of her education and it shows I'm, like everything I've done in my life, everything I'm doing, everything I want to do. It's just, just seeing from my mom, what she did during her youth and her life. I mean, she's the biggest inspiration I have. So yeah. Like she's what? What does she do? But she's a doctor as well. But also she's always raised us to always question everything. Don't follow blind, blindly. Question your leaders. Question, question just stupid hypotheses or theories. Just question everything. And you, we don't owe anybody any excuse. And be unapologetically loud about your rights and about what you think that the world should be like. And yeah. Yes. What's yeah. your mom's name? My mom's name is Fatia. So Fatia is the first word in the Quran, which means open doors. And uh, yeah. <laughs> I love it. Fatia's this yeah. episode's MVP. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much for talking with me, Kenny. I Thank really appreciate you so it. so much. It of was, course. Oh, I just wanted to give a big shout out to Chile because like we have, a, as from Lebanon, we have been also watching a lot of the Chile's revolution. And uh, yeah, power to the people because they've been doing this, having the same struggles as us. And yeah. <laughs> yes, I love that. You give me chills. <laughs> <laughs> A couple of closing thoughts before I go. First of all, I just wanted to say that my MVP for this episode are the women of Latin America, the skaters of Latin America that Barbara mentioned in her interview, as well as Barbara, Barbara included, and Kenny as well. I am, and Kenny's mom, <laughs> I am in deep gratitude and in awe of their strength and courage and persistence and tenacity to perform the sport that we love and to integrate their communities and integrate the love of their communities into it. I hope that I was able to help amplify their message and support it through this venue. And I am just 
hopeful because of people like them. They inspire me. All right, folks, where they have it. Holding Space with Magical Wheelism is available on Apple, Spotify, Google Play, and YouTube. Help the pod grow by subscribing and sharing it with friends. Rating and reviewing on Apple Podcasts also helps others find us. Follow the pod on Instagram at Holding Space with Magic Pod. Intro and outro music is by Sun Searcher. The song is called Latin Rhythm. And the cover photo is by James Corbett of Epic Life Images. Find him at Epic Life Images on Instagram. See you next time. Bye.